Thank you for tuning in. Organizational change is psychological, not transactional. So why don't we consult with organizational behavior and relationship experts when we think through and strategize about change and change management? Well, today we get to speak to such an expert. Our guest is Tammy Jordan, founder and principal of the Leader Consulting Group, and we walk through the fundamentals of change management, the risks to both leaders and organizations when change is managed poorly, why change management can be so difficult, and how we can succeed with different types and aspects of change. We also get into why change during COVID-19 is different and how we can better position ourselves and our organizations for success for a situation that's likely sticking around for months, if not years. If you are a person, work with people, or have people in your organization, and if you ever experience any type of change, this episode is for you. And once again, our conversation with Tammy is a great example of the benefit of the dialogue format we have here on the podcast as we dive deep into our topic. So without any further delay, let's do it. Welcome to AEC Leadership Today, the podcast designed exclusively for engineering, architecture, and construction industry leaders who want to stay relevant and effective. The show takes on the most pressing issues facing the AEC industry and was created to help you and your firm grow and prosper in the 21st century. The host of AEC Leadership Today is Pete Atherton, a professional engineer and former AEC principal and owner turned AEC coach and consultant. And now, take a break from your never-ending to-do list and welcome Peter Atherton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of AEC Leadership Today. Today, we'll be speaking with Tammy Jordan, founder and principal of Leader Consulting Group, and we'll be talking about change management. Welcome to the podcast, Tammy. Thanks so much for having me, Pete. Really excited to be here. Well, we're excited that you're here too. And um, just so the listeners um, understand um, how we met in our relationship, we first met in Nashville last year at the AEC HR Summit. And then we met again. We both spoke at a, an engineer's day in New Hampshire. And we've had several conversations um, then, a lot around the subject of change management. But before we begin, can you share a bit about you, your career, and how you're involved today with change management? Yeah, definitely. I, um, so my career started, I started out kind of in the traditional HR trajectory. Um, but realized that I was doing, I was kind of fell out of love uh, with HR when I first started doing the work. It was more transactional about, you know, benefits and compliance and policy and procedure. And so I ended up leaving the world because that's not why I got into it. And I took class um, in my undergrad days on organizational behavior and, and organizational psychology. So, you know, as most careers do, they pivot, they turn, they go into all sorts of weird, weird places. And I found myself back in the nonprofit world in a strategic planning session and said, you know what, facilitation, strategic planning, like this is my, yeah, this is what I want to be doing. So I went back to school, got my degree in organizational development on leadership uh, and kind of gotten back into HR that way. That was the type of HR um, work that I wanted to do, which was always OD. And of course, OD in and of itself is, it's basically the study of, of creating change 
in organizations and how organizations develop and grow and pivot and um, and really discusses the people side of that. So obviously it affects process and strategy and, and practice, but it, it's, it has a lot to do with the, the people component that makes change work or not work. Mm, well, that's a, great, that's a great segue in that organizational development is creating change in organizations. I mean, positive change. So just to get us all on the same page, as far as maybe the definition of change management, because it's thrown out there like, oh, we need to do better at change management. And you know, I understand change management, but maybe I don't. So is there um, a definition you have, or could you explain change management um, in its different stages and progressions to, to get us all on the same page as we start? Sure. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I th one of the challenges that that we have in change management. I think this is part of like, you know, when I went back to school for my master's and realized that, you know, there's theories, right? So every, every discipline, every study has all these theories about why change does what it does, or, you know, everyone from John Cotter to, to um, Jack Welch to, you know, Bennis to Bridges, you know, all these theorists have, have, concepts about how organizations work. And so that's why when people talk change management, you know, you're talking about, oh, well, this person's theory or that person's theory. And, and in essence, I, I think you can fundamentally break it down to, you know, change. Cre humans are creatures of habit. Um, we like habit. We like knowing what we do. We like proficiency. You know, no one, I remind people, no one likes to wake up in the morning and go, you know what? I want to not know what I'm doing at work today or B, I want to fail today. <laughs> That's, they want to know what they're doing. They want to do it well. And so when someone introduces a change, it's a learning curve and you have to unlearn in order to learn. So ma change management is really the process of managing that change everywhere to, okay, well, this is our reality. From a process standpoint, how do we change that process? What does it look like? What's the impact it's going to have? So process, um, people, policy and a whole, you know, strategy. So it, it, one of the biggest changes um, or challenges I think people face is that they don't start with change management at the strategy level and then end up having to go backwards, right? So if you think big concept and then funnel down, um, change management is all encompassing. And when you do it well, it affects all different components of the organization. They're all communicated with and they all move together, ideally. So can you think of a, a situation where, um, I guess maybe a typical situation in organizations where, okay, this change happens routinely, but we don't manage that change. And as a result, it's just not ideal. Okay, maybe we can walk through a scenario where this is kind of what typically happens during this moment, but if we were to actually apply some change management, the outcome could be this other way. Yeah. So one of the most common ones that people relate to um, in regard to a discussion point, there, there's two um, that I use often because it really resonates because everyone's gone through them. Um, one is high level leadership changes. So when you change a CEO, when you change senior leadership team member, um, that shift of vision causes what I call a, you know, a, a reverb, a ripple effect on the entire organization. So that's one. But I want to talk first about um, technology. So the second one is technology. 
Everyone uses technology pieces. Right now we're using them more than ever. You know, we're using Zoom, Microsoft Teams, you, you know, you name it. There's all of these, um, you know, one site, SharePoint, everything. So whenever an organization rolls out, and that's, I mean, you're going to hear me say roll out a couple of times. Whenever you roll something out, it is change management. So it should, that's, that's like your indicator, ding, 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 ding. I need to deploy some people stuff. Whenever you roll something out, new software, the, the change component of it is, it isn't necessarily the thing. Uh, meaning it's, you know, the new software, the thing, everyone, if you ask people in an organization, they'll do this They say, Oh, you good with, with what's coming? Oh yeah. What's coming down the pike. It's, it's great. I love it. This, this sounds exciting. It sounds innovative. We're going to be able to do so much about it. And then as most leaders know, as soon as it gets rolled out, there's 9,462 problems, right? That for some reason, no matter what you did, nobody anticipated. And that usually has to do with um, a lot of things, but it's, you, it's, it's in regard to people's transition. So Bridges, this is when we talk about theory, William Bridges came up with a concept of, about there's the change and there's the transition. And it isn't the changes that flub up organizations, it's the transition. Meaning there's one change, the technology rollout. And there's as many transitions as there are employees. So for example, you have someone who might be later in their career, maybe, you know, 60, 65, um, little skittish around technology, wasn't part of their, you know, they, they got really used to certain methods. You introduce it, their fear is palpable. They, they resist harder than most of the other employees. They say, well, I, you know, this isn't for me. I really don't want to do this. I'd, and then it gets to the point where, okay, you may not want to do it, but you have to do it, right? And then so the fear is palpable. They start hoarding information. They really are putting, digging their heels in. And then you're, you're starting to see the impact that it's having on the team. Um, if, you, if you can't identify what everyone's individual transition is in the change, you can't address it and move forward. So Bridges talks about it's never the, the change that flubs things up. It's the not managing the individual transitions. So how, sidebar into that. So how, yeah. how would you do that? So I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a division leader and we're rolling out this new technology or rolling out this new innovative approach we want to apply to our projects. How do you assess that individual transition? Is it come down to just one-on-one -on -one relationships and having a discussion? Is it that simple or is there just ways to do that and, and how would you scale it? Yes and yes. Um, so, you know, as with everything in quote unquote OD organization development, it, it's mostly, it's always related to people. Um, you know, if process were just process, if we were just machines, um, so much of this would go away, but it's the people component of it that takes the most time and the most effort. So if you have really good relationships, if you've built a structure of trust, a relationship of trust with your employees, um, that inherent trust is going to take you a lot further in regard to change management because you can go to your employees and you can say, hey, listen, I don't really know what this looks like yet, but know for sure that I've got your back. We're going to figure it out. Um, I, I will keep you as, as much in the loop as I can. As soon as I get the information, I'll pass it along. If you have any fears, you have any you know questions, or you rope them in, right? You rope them in into the 
nothing irritates more employees more than the well a whole bunch of people just decided this in a room and didn't consult me and i don't know why you know i could have told them nine times over that this was going to fail if employees feel that once the rollout happens guess what you've missed a huge opportunity to get some advocates on board to push out no i think leadership made the right decision with this software so you, you got to buy get buy-in early and a lot of leaders tell me i don't have time for that you're right, you don't have time for that, but I can tell you an ounce of prevention or proactive thought is worth a pound of reactivity in regard to change management. I was going to say, if you don't have time up front, you probably don't have time on the back end to deal That's with right. the issues that, that go, you know, in the, the hits the culture and that type of thing. But, and it grows so, exponentially, right? Like so you have a little bit here in the beginning and so you can save yourself a lot of time on the back end. Right. So, so this, this change is coming. Leadership knows about it. And maybe they've gone through their own process to say, okay, yes, this is even change on my behalf. It's changing our systems. I'm going to have to have these conversations. So they've kind of gone through their process and then rolling it out. Is that to go from a, I need to engage my people to talk about the change, understanding that they have to transition, but I want to get them to be an advocate. Is that when the, the you comes in like the you change I have in my mind. It's like oh, the, yeah. the, the stages of like denial, resistance, exploration, commitment. Is that sort of you want to work through that site or no people are going to walk? Can you, well, yeah, if, I, if I'm at least on the right track, could you walk through that? And then when they get commitment, that's when you have an advocate. And that's sort of for that people group, you've, you're, you're, you're now successfully able to start the rollout. Yeah. So, so much of, you know, okay. So let me backtrack. The first thing is understanding the transition piece, right? Um, transition change. The second piece though, is how robust your communication process is. So when you talk about the curve, um, the U curve, it's that every single person in their own transition process goes through, you know, and what this looks like, you know, the employee hears, hey, we're gonna move towards, um, you know, SharePoint um, as, as our new way to communicate with each other. The employee goes, yeah, 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 yeah. We've heard that before. It's not going to happen. Forget it. I've, I've heard the same song and dance. And so that's the first stage denial, right? And then the second is, oh, geez, um, this might actually happen. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to resist, right? Like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I, this, this, this is the rubber's hitting the road and I don't like it. So mm, no, no, thanks. This is going to fail. And then, you know, there's some level of, you know, kind of coming on board and experimenting and dipping their feet in and saying things like, oh yeah, this isn't so bad. And then you start getting that, that kind of, they're trying to pull people on, on board. And then you get the full acceptance on the last end. What happens with that curve is that leaders go through that. So the, let's say it's the CEO's idea and they introduce it. Everyone on the senior leadership team is kind of having that moment of, yeah, sure. Right. Um, and even though they might not say it, they're saying it in their head, like, this is crazy train. Like we don't have time for this. And then, but somewhere along the way, they get it. They understand it. The leadership goes through that U curve before the employees ever hear about it. And then the leadership team gets irritated. Why is this taking so long? It's like, well, you've had seven months to figure out how to conceptualize this in your head. And the employees are, are literally within the first 15 days in kind of a panic. So what I mean by the communication piece, and this is, it has to be transparent and vulnerable, and that's where leaders get worried. And I'm always the one kind of talking them off the ledge. I'm like, well, if we don't have all the answers, how can we share and be upfront in this, in this communication early on? 
And I say, it's okay to say you don't know. And again, that's where you get the kickback. But the ones that I see that are most successful are the ones that start planting the seeds that this is what's going to happen. Hey, we're going to make this change. We're moving to a new software. You got any ideas? Let us know. Rope us in. But they're telling people it's going to come way before it comes so that people can begin that U-curve process. Mm. And you can almost cascade this by, you know, the, the, the top leaders and then the next group of leaders, but then sort of roll out the managers and sort of walk walk them through the U-curves. And then at that point, you're kind of walking through, but, but there's a series of sort of strategic discussions because I, I, sus- I mean, I've been in situations where you can kind of get through the whole U-curve if you structure and you have the information and you have a valid discussion, you can almost work through the whole U-curve in a meeting oh, to get people on board. So it's not like it takes months um, no. unless it's not done well, but, but almost acknowledging that all, you know, there will be denial, there will be resistance. Um, there will be some exploration and there might eventually be commitment if it's the right idea and you present it well. Um, but, and you can do it quickly or it could take a long time if you don't acknowledge the steps. That's right. Yeah. And, and acknowledge a shared feeling, right? Um, so the best communicators, senior leader communicators that I witness and watch are the ones that pull everyone in and say, Hey, listen, I know y'all think it's crazy, (laughs) but um, this is what we're going to do. And I know you're going to push back and I want you to push back on me, right? So normalizing the denial, normalizing the resistance, basically asking for it gives people permission. And it's so interesting that so many leaders say, well, if they had a problem with it, they should have just said something. Leaders sometimes forget that the reason why they're a leader is that they're different. And so leaders are the people that resist they say, hey, I got to, they, they, they stand up, you know, they, they speak their piece. Um, where a lot of employees, it's, it's not that they don't want to do those things. It's just not part of their DNA. They're, they're more like reflective or they, they, they're waiting for instruction. They're waiting for clarity. So if you put your kind of employee hat on, um, you can see that y- you have to solicit this information um, from them. Most employees aren't aren't going to be openly, you know, sharing resistance with the CEO. <laughs> you know, they're they're trying very hard to be a team member. And that's the creating safety, the creating yeah. psychological safety. Certainly, if you have um, a foundation of trust and you've been able to openly communicate and and seek people's feedback, um, but even if you maybe haven't, and but you want this rollout to go really well, creating or designing your strategy to create psychological safety will allow that to happen. Yes. If people trust you that, you know, they're not going to get thrown under the bus um, in a meeting. Uh, They're not going to be ridiculed for giving direct or contradictory feedback. Um, they'll continue to give you the information you're looking for, but you have to make them safe in order to do so. Meaning they're, and the number one safety issue is, is uh, retaliation. Um, and usually that retaliation comes from middle management. Senior leaders are scratching their heads like, we don't understand why there isn't feedback all the way up through. Um, and usually the breakdown is there's some middle management that it's what I call the pinch positions they're trying to manage the agenda above and the agenda below. And if they're not able to reconcile the two different agendas, 
they get into a very authoritative type of management style, which makes them employees just not want to give information back up through the funnel. I mean, is that um, further reason why leadership teams should work through and get management to buy in first before yes. we roll it out? And, and in, in that process, you can figure out like someone might really be resisting and there might be some legitimate fear behind that, or there, there might be some issue other than someone's just not wanting to be a team player, or if they are, then you make a different decision on things, but really sort of ferret out that pinch point. Because I, I mean, I, I see that too. And maybe it's not just my experience. It's like a legitimate thing, like, you know, sort of the, the you know, in middle management. Um, but I mean, is that a, a, a distinct strategy to sort of oh, roll completely. it to middle management first? Yeah, you you got to get them on board. Um, and, and, get them as open as possible. Um, I think what's really interesting, when I first started this work, I was kind of doing investigative interviews, you know, going to all these consultants and saying, okay, what's your one takeaway from doing OD work? What's your, you know, and one woman said to me, and it's always stood, it's, it's always kind of stuck in my head because it really resonated, it still does. Fear is alive and well at all levels of the organization. And if you can understand people's fear, you can address it and you can help them move through it because that's what makes people either thrive or have a real challenge. And when I say that is in, in regard to the technology example, there's a lot of people that are really afraid of having their job replaced by technology. And so for some leaders, it never dawns on them that when you move even me, I, I didn't realize that some, when you move to a new system and you're automating or you're becoming more efficient and leaders are talking about this all the time, those that have had the same job, especially in a support function or um, th there's this element of, oh my gosh, I'm replaceable. And so kind of reassuring, like, listen, this, this software isn't going to, you know, replace your job. And if it, if it does a little bit, we'll find, you know what I mean? Like we'll reallocate, we will utilize your skills. We'll figure out what skills we can, we can adapt. And, but people are, it's, it's very palpable, especially in the, in the world that we're living in right now with technology moving as fast as it is. I guess that comes up with the honest, well, first of all, it's bringing game on if we're going to make a change, it's for a positive reason and yes. being able to articulate that this does make our world better or more efficient. This is why and how. And so almost by working through the fear, understanding that there is fear, you can work through it and say, yes, there's this change we're going to have to go through, but here's the reason we're doing it. Big picture. It's making yes. our world better, our ability to perform better, your career better. I mean, whatever that case is, I guess you just can't do change for change sake. You're just looking for trouble because you're not going to really be able to maybe uh, arrest some of the fear or work through the fear if it's not really a good idea. That is a really good point um, in regard, especially to the communication plan. Every change management initiative should have, like I said, a very robust change man, um, cha um, communication strategy. And even getting to the specific of who's going to say what at what time, like, okay, the CEO is going to do weekly updates or monthly updates. And then the senior leadership's team is going to do, um, Bob Kelleher talks about it as being the communication protocol, right? Like having very specific um, talking points connected to who's going to do it and when. One of the biggest pieces of that is the why. People are motivated around the why. And if they don't, especially young people, so millennials, half of Gen X, if you do not tell them the why you're doing something, 
um, they literally conceptually are like, well, this is dumb. Um, they, they, because they've lived in a world where they can get the why to everything. I mean, Wikipedia has been at their fingers since, you know, they can get the why to anything. Why did this happen? Who's this? What's going on? So information for them is critical and they will get behind something that's extraordinarily, um, you know, more efficient or better or um, makes sense business. If, they, if, if they're given the opportunity uh, to understand how it's going to impact their the business and specifically how it's going to impact their role. That's the other piece of it. The communication should have, why is the company doing this? And how does this initiative directly impact your role? Mm-hmm. And you mentioned, you know, fear as a, 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 a um, a, a driver that will either, you know, force us to thrive or force us to have a challenge. And I remember one of our conversations, you said something that stuck out to me that, you know, it's really, it's emotions that drive our performance. And is yeah. that sort of connected with that? If we're in fear, we, we're, I guess fear can drive us positively and it can drive us negatively. Yeah. I mean, can you talk a little bit about, you know, sure. fear and, and, and how emotions drive performance and through change and specifically here? Well, we're seeing every, I mean, I, I, I this is a good time to talk about, you know, COVID-19 and its, and its impact on, on work and performance. And, um, you know, the fear is palpable. You can feel people, um, or three emotions that come to mind are anxiety, um, fear, and exhaustion. Uh, just pure, you know, what am I doing today? What's, what's happening? And, the people that are thriving in this are the ones that don't get too far down the rabbit hole. They're the ones that are, okay, we got to think about the future, but we got to stay mindful. We got to be in the present. We have to, what can we do today? You know, what's the 30 day plan? What's the one week plan? And, and the, and controlling those emotions to stay away from um, the negative emotions and to get back into and to not, okay, so there, there's a couple, I'm going all over the place here, but there's a couple of components to it because I, I just did a, a workshop this morning on emotion, emotional contagion. So there's more and more research that we're finding now about how our, our limbic system, the brain science around how our, we connect with each other and, and that emotions are contagious. If you've ever you know, in these Zoom calls, you see someone smiling. It's really hard not to smile back. You can actually probably hear it in my voice right now that I'm smiling and that has a ripple effect. We see this sometimes on teams where there's one person that, you know, it's chicken little, the person, you know, well, look at this, we, we're doing this, we're having these successes and the person just can't, but the sky is falling continually, right? And it has this, they kind of hijack the team. It has this really heavy energy on everyone's uh, morale and performance. And, and so the emotional component, uh, it spreads a negative emotion. They spread like, like wildfire. So having managers who are capable of coaching somebody through those emotions um, and, and getting them on the other side of it. So on the other side of fear is hope. Um, and Again, not being taught when the other thing I want to uh, kind of caution people about is not being having toxic positivity. And what I mean by toxic positivity is silver lining everything, right? So someone comes to you, they're anxious, they're stressed, especially during this time of COVID. Maybe they have an, an employee, I mean, a family member who's on the front lines, maybe a healthcare worker. This is real stuff for them. 
And sometimes because people don't know how to give an empathic response, they try to silver line it. And Brene Brown talks about this. They try to say, well, at least you, you know, you're still working. Everyone's still working. Good for you. And then they try to like smooth it over and, and, and happy, happy. And all that does is it leaves the person feeling like, wow, this, my manager didn't hear me. My manager didn't hear me that, that right now I can barely do what I got to do because this stuff is weighing so heavy on me. A lot of times what people need is they need that acknowledgement and validation. They don't want you to fix anything. They just want you to hear hear them out. They just want to hold space with, with them. And, and again, I'm using some therapeutic language right now, but when I see managers that do well with this, they listen, they don't try to fix, they don't try to respond. And then they end with, usually it's an acknowledgement. I'm so sorry. And then, but what can I do? How can I support you? How can we get through this? Um, and just, knowing that somebody's there to support you usually for most folks is enough to get them through that so that they can get back to productivity they can get back to work they feel more grounded and they're able to do what they need to do it's almost so, just validating emotions completely and, and, and then yes. allowing the support then how can i support you in taking the next step so i mean right. that could happen i mean so we did sidebar into COVID 19 which i yeah. want to talk about but that's the same in change management i mean you know people on your team for the most part, probably who might be susceptible to chicken little syndrome. And you can yeah. almost have a separate strategy to pull them aside and have yeah. this conversation saying, I really need you to understand this and to be able to support it. If not X, Y, and Z, or I can't have you in the room like that. You know, you're that impactful. And so maybe there's another conversation we got to have, but, but anyway, you can have your strategy around that and not fall victim have the group fall victim to that. So having that strategy, I mean, we, so we, we talked about the rolling out of technology. Is there, are there any changes to what we talked about if there is sort of a high level leadership change? I mean, even if it's change a team leader or, you know, someone got promoted or change of division head, not just CEO, but if there's a leadership change, is, is it the same real process or is there any other wrinkles? It's different in that um, it's less tangible. Um, and depending on who's leaving, um, so what we didn't talk about is that Bridges, Bridges talks about there's three stages to transition. And the first stage that everybody goes in the same like the U-curve, um, but he talks about everyone goes through an endings period or a grief period. Um, and then they go through this neutral stage and then they, they enter into a new beginnings. I see these stages most often when there's a change in leadership. So if a CEO is a beloved CEO that's been around for, you know, the legacy CEO, 30 years, 35 years, and that person leaves and a new person comes in, some people can't seem to, you see a lot of people retire, there's attrition after. And the reason why is because they, they, they literally don't know how to work without they've spent their entire careers with the CEO. And these are kind of um, founder legacy type, type companies um, that the grief is so bad that they can't, they can't even accept a new person coming in and saying, hey, we're going to try something new. To them, it's like personal. And, and so there's a lot of resistance there. And in that kind of situation, in that neutral stage, it's, you know, this new CEO is going to be kind of testing the waters, right? Okay, can I, and then employees are going, can I trust him? Can I, I don't know, or her? Can, can I do this? Can I do this? You know, you don't really know how that's going to all work. And the new beginnings is when the person's able to you know, create new policies, create a vision and start to get that feeling of camaraderie around the, this new vision. So 
I see those, again, I see those stages more when it's around a, a person leaving or, or coming in um, than I, or they're more finite, I guess, uh, than in, they're, they're muddier when you see them in regard to technology. Does that so make sense? Yeah, so I mean, it is, it is in a way you could think about a person leaving or a transition personal-wise as a little bit of a mourning or a grieving process mm. that you have to go through. And, and that, yeah. so, but then it's, it's, it's different if it's just a technology change or something like that, where you kind of can mechanically work through that. Yeah, or there at least, um, so when I hear people say, so what the grief and grieving stage sounds like when, when you're talking about technology is the folks that have a heart, they always say things like, well, that's not, you know, that's not how it was done, you know, or, or we used to do, we used to do this all the time. We used to do this. And you get those antsy people that are like, okay, that's nice. You know, Sarah, that's nice, David. But you know, that was three years ago. <laughs> Can we stop? They, for some reason, can't let go of the past. They can't let go of what used to be. Um, and they hold on to these old processes that kind of mess everybody else up or they, they'll duplicate, right? They'll be highly inefficient because they are still doing the old way of paper or something or, and they're doing the new way because they knew they have to in order to preserve their job. Right. You mentioned something and, and maybe this is the more mechanical way to look at like the, say the people mourning process versus, you know, like a technology change. You have to unlearn before you learn. Yeah. Is, how, how does that work the unlearning is what makes people the most uncomfortable um because again it's it's our own the way that we're wired is kind of by we're creature every training i do in person guess where everyone sits <laughs> you know they, they go for leave for lunch they come back they sit in the same spot um they sit with their own people they you know meaning i was the next to you during lunch you took they even say things and it's, it's crazy like you took my seat it's like you're in a training for one day this isn't your seat um the reason i bring that up is the unlearning is getting uncomfortable again it's being willing to to try something completely new or to let go of the way that makes us feel comfortable and that for a lot of people is there's some, every change initiative, managers should be, they have a roster, right? So if I'm managing 10 people, I got my 10 people in front of me and I should be going through every single person and going, okay, that, that person's a, fat, a quick adopter. I just know in regard to this, I'm not gonna have a problem. You, it's helpful to look at the ones that you know, oh geez, I know that one's gonna have a hard time with this because of X or because then you start early with the folks that, that are, you know are gonna have a hard time, you can start that unlearning process or start that process of pulling things away from them and making them feel uncomfortable before it happens, right? Um, so it's a more proactive approach with the people that need it. Right, so I mean, fear, you know, the technology change, it's not just fear, I might lose my job or be replaced. It could be fear of this is gonna be uncomfortable and I'm gonna have to go yeah. do something different. So I mean, never it can under, manifest itself. Absolutely. Never underestimate the power of status either. So someone, yeah. So um, if a technology changes where it might put someone, there's all these, and I meant to mention this too, with the leadership changes, there's all these informal roles that people have. So someone on the senior leadership team, maybe they leave the organization, but they were like everyone's cheerleader. Maybe they were the person who was like, you know, positive poly all the time. They were the ones that were, 
filling everybody up and saying, we can do this, we got this. When that person goes, it's not just that person's role that you're fulfilling. If the team doesn't have a cheerleader, that's a huge loss. That's the, and, and the team will feel it, but they don't even, they can't articulate it because it, it was an informal role. The same thing happens in change with things. Meaning someone over, you know, I, I talk about it as, as job creep, you know, the, you have a job description, but over the course of 20 years, your job grows and then your job description never changes. Someone will, as a result of job creep, get this informal role of managing some part of the software or some part of the system or something. And then when you go to the new one, that informal role becomes obsolete. That's a huge loss to someone. They had, they had informal power and control and you just took it away. And now this person is like, I have no influence in my organization. So it's all those little things that will cause people to, because it, it almost, they can't always articulate it or they don't want to. And then when it happens, they start acting irrationally and everyone around you is like, what is happening to that person? Um, and it, you got to do some digging to kind of figure out what's really going on. So that could be the resistance that they might not yeah. even know why they're resisting. And, and, but, but you yeah. almost have to ferret it out. Like what, why this doesn't make sense that this is happening, that maybe it's the subculture. Yes. That, you know, again, no one's being a bad player. It's just our human response. And we might not just be able to understand it or articulate it. Like you said, it's just, yeah. it's, it's another element. I mean, is this why um, in normal times there really is a lack of change? Because it sounds like it's a lot of strategy and thinking and relationship building um, or, you know, relationship development in that process um, and being okay that, you have to take a couple extra steps to work the people. I mean, is it, we don't really understand change management or is it, we don't want to spend that much time. I mean, what, what do you think some of the holdups are when change yeah. management isn't um, employed? To be honest, uh, to be well direct, I think it's that most leaders view it as a transaction, a thing. And the thing that makes change management work is people. It's a psychological process. So, you know, I, I, I oftentimes, I don't know, when the, the consulting firms that bring in, like the, the, if you do go to a new software and, you know, they're like, oh, we have people trained on staff to, you know, help facilitate this and to move it forward. It, I chuckle sometimes because I'm like, why don't they all have an organizational psychology person? Because it's the, it's the psychological process or the discovery of what, the, the processes are um, for people, the emotions behind it that make it work. Um, not always the prob problem solving around what's in the way. Mm -hmm. So is that, and is that why maybe, or let me ask the question, do in the engineering architecture world, is there um, less of juicy, um, we struggle more with change management and maybe because we're very technical people and not necessarily people, people than the other industries, or do you just think it's, it's sort of, it's a leadership um, non people issue in general? I think it's across the board um, for the most part, but I do think the AEC industry, um, you know, emotional intelligence leader, you know, leadership models, emotionally, like the, this is all, you know, it isn't, it isn't their comfort zone. A lot of times this isn't what they went. 
I went into architecture to talk about emotional intelligence. I mean, that's not, <laughs> that's not what, and what most people get into architecture to do. I, th this also happens though in healthcare, believe it or not, even though it's a very, um, people think, you know, it's a very personable or person to person industry. And I, I think we have to change the way that we look at who are managers. So someone who might be a great engineer um, probably needs to stay being a great engineer. But what we do instead is when they're a great engineer, we promote them to manager. And I think that that's a mistake. I think we need to be looking at engineers who are who have great emotional intelligence, who might be good talent managers. I think the whole industry needs to be restructured a little bit because we've seen this in healthcare. Uh, great nurses make awful nurse managers, horrible, because the great nurses want to be direct. They want to be doing the work with the patient. They don't want to be managing shift schedules and who's doing who and who's calling out, you know, who's, who's on what patients and who's calling out to work. They want to be with the work. And so we have to find the people that may not be really good at nursing, but are really good at motivating people same way. Mm. And I think that's a great analogy to the, the engineering architecture space. And, and even if you're a really good engineer, a really good nurse, if you have an interest towards managing people, I mean, you could learn emotional intelligence and you can yes. have a leadership development program, a management development program, but I guess you, you have to at least want it, not just sort of, this is your position, now like it. I, I guess that there, there's a process to, you could be a great engineer um, and then be able to become a great manager. And the same thing too. I mean, different skill sets for managing and leading well. You, you could be a great manager, but then leadership's a whole different skill set in and of itself. If you want to do it, you can learn that. Well, and there's some that naturally, you know, move in that direction. They're like, okay, you know, engineering was great. I loved it, but I'm, I want a new challenge. And they're kind of interested in uh, leading people and, um, you know, maybe they're interested too in, in um, more of the sales, you know, BD side and, and people looking at, you know, emotional intelligence that way from an external standpoint. So I think that there's mul multiple trajectories. I, and there are people that are amazing engineers, architects um, that are also amazing leaders. I'm not saying you can't be both. I just see a trend that we sometimes, the only way to move forward in a career development path for some engineers is to say, well, you have to manage people. And I think that that's a mistake because so many engineers that I've worked with, they just want to do the work, right? So how, how can we give them that, that feeling of, of career development and career pathing without making them, because it will get to be the back burner, right? Like if I'm motivated by doing the work, the back burner is going to be other people because I could care less. I don't want to do that. So then everyone around him is like, well, oh, my boss really kind of doesn't care because, you know, it's just not how that person's motivated. So we kind of set them up to fail. Right, right. And then everyone who's on their team because they won't have any engagement and the supervisor is so important to engagement and that type of thing. Um, but as, you know, with the change management piece, so we talked about how a strategy and understanding the process and, and really kind of walking through that, anticipating things and having those discussions. Um, make a difference. What if, um, as if a leader doesn't do it, um, or a set of leaders don't do it well, I mean, what are the risks? I mean, other than the program is half implemented, or it's not implemented, I mean, that, that's, a, but are there, do you see trends? The, these are, this is the fallout. This is the risk if you don't do change, change management well. We don't take leadership seriously. 
what I mean by that is um, they get, you get a lot more of the yeah, sure. So, it, you know, everyone, when we talked about goes through that denial phase at the beginning. Um, so on the next change that happens, you know, if it isn't managed properly, they're going to be, oh, here we go again with something that we're going to, you know, half do, but it's going to fall to the wayside uh, 10 minutes after we start. Or So there's, there's kind of like a feeling of ambivalence that happens over time. Um, the companies that I feel do it well are the ones where you get people excited at the beginning because they know the company will follow through. They know that this will be um, not an easy process, but it'll be an exciting process. So there's a feeling of high morale on one side or low morale, you know, or, or feelings of low efficacy, right? Like, I don't know if we're, I don't know if we're really going to be able to get to do this right um, versus I'm excited for this because it's, it's an opportunity. So on, on a certain level, if I'm a leader and I don't do change management well, I'm actually undermining my own credibility. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, that, that should be a, a fear motivator right there yeah. to do the right, do it, do change management really well because of it's a great change and it's going to help everyone in productivity and help people's careers advance. Mm -hmm. But on a fear level, if I don't do this well, my credibility is undermined. Completely. And momentum, right? Momentum to move forward um, and, and credibility and trust. Really, at the end of the day, you want people to trust that, that what you're doing and the decisions you've made are the right ones. So if we can create some enthusiasm and excitement around it, um, again, emotion contagion, that spreads and then people will be ready, you know, onward, right? Onward and upward on the next one. Right, right. I love talking with you. This is so cool. They, all right, so, so I'm a leader and I'm, I'm enthusiastic. I am motivated um, to really manage this change real well. I've done my homework. I'm meeting with people. What, are there some typical pitfalls? Like I'm enthusiastic about it. I mean, what, what are some of the pitfalls leaders make in change management that you've seen or, or, or hurdles they come up against that might derail the process? Yeah, if there if there's a, a whoops, uh, and there always is a whoops, right? Like it just you can't predict everything. Um, if there's a whoops, oh, don't do not cover it up. Um, meaning, and what I mean by cover it up is like, oh, maybe if we do this, nobody'll notice. They're going to notice. Like people are not born yesterday. Um, and then when you do, all it does is, again, it goes back to trust and erodes trust. Why did they cover it up? People are very suspicious for some reason. Um, and no matter what you do, they're always, they're sitting there going, oh yeah, if you don't tell them, they'll fill it. If you don't tell them, people will fill in the blanks with something, it's usually not positive information. They'll fill it in with negative information. So I'm very much on the side of uh, transparency in all, and when I see that, there's been a mess up and there isn't transparent communication about it, um, it hurts people. Um, so that, that's a pitfall. Another pitfall is um, sometimes quitting too early. So sometimes it can feel like, oh man, we did, we did this the wrong way. Uh, let's scrap it and go back. And again, you're kind of undermining sometimes. Now, if you, if sometimes you do have to scrap it, um, but if you if you pivot, right? That, so a lot of it's a talking point. But if you pivot and say, "Hey, 
this isn't, this isn't working. Let's figure, let's get everyone together and try to figure out what, we, whether we can salvage this or whether we're going to do it through some, that's okay. But if you just quit with no, no, um, why closure to it, right? Yeah. No closure to it or whatever. It leaves everyone going, was there something there that, <laughs> did you catch it? Cause I didn't catch it. It just, it leaves people with too many questions. And kind of a waste of my time. Yeah. It was a total waste of my time. So again, it, it discredits the next venture. Right. So, so that's, I mean, I, I appreciate because, you know, some of these challenges and the thought process that, that don't go on or are, you know, have to be strategically developed and um, proactively done in normal times um, to yeah. help facilitate change. We're obviously in a period right now of some unnormal times change. And you, change, you know, talked a little bit about COVID-19. Um, can you share a little bit about, you know, people having legitimate fear, anxiety, being exhausted? I mean, we're experiencing trauma, maybe personally, or we're, we're experiencing trauma on TV. So that's legitimate and, and, we're, and we're managing change, we're working from home and we might start coming back into the office. I mean, what from a change management and an organization perspective, what are some things we should know about managing change right now and say even over the next few months? So, yeah, I, I think the trauma is a good word. I think, you know, a couple of words that come to mind are people are overwhelmed they are, I mean, I'm going to get into brain science a little bit here. There's two parts of the brain um, during trauma that kind of counteract each other. And that's the, when you're in, in a fear state, the amygdala, which is in the part of the back, it's what I call like the, the caveman brain. It's the part of our brain that saved us. Like when we saw a saber toothed tiger coming at us, we didn't sit there and go, hmm, I wonder if that's uh, a male saber-toothed tiger or if it, like we, we didn't try to logically decide what type of saber-toothed tiger. We said, oh crap. And so we either got to get out of here or kill this thing, right? Like the amygdala is the fight, flight, or freeze response. And so right now that's what's happening. Everyone's amygdala is like lit on fire. Like we are all walking around like fight, flight, or freeze. Like, uh, what, what did you tell me? I don't know. I got to go. Like it's, it's a constant um, overwhelmed state. And so I have leaders that have gotten out of that state, meaning they've processed their anxiety, their fear. They got this, they got the, maybe they got the small business loan, they're feeling safe and they're already onto the cognitive part of the brain, which is hard to talk about processes and, and cognitive thinking and improving things and problem solving. And so because they've moved out of the fear center and they're in the head because they got the loan, you know, they can pay, pay payroll for the next they're like okay we have to get creative we have to pivot we got to do this we got to and they're basically talking to someone who can't hear them right because the other person's still triggered in that fear so to them all they see is leaders talking about things that don't mean anything to them right now because they might have a mother-in-law who's has a heart disease is at risk. And again, they, I said this before, they might have a spouse that's an essential employee that's literally putting themselves at risk every day. And they don't know if they're coming home and bringing their two-year-old son um, or their mother-in-law, you know, COVID-19. So, so these risks are so palpable that I, I try to urge people in this change, don't try to move the bus too fast. Like don't 
try to get people in that cognitive space yet because they're kind of not there yet. I think we're, we're entering in it. The, this week, maybe next week, you know, people are talking about re-entry. People are talking, we have, you know, a couple dates away in regard to May. They're two or three weeks away. So we're, I think we're starting to shift into a neutral stage where that fear, that palpable fear state, fight, flight, or freeze, should, should start to diminish. That's when we start talking about, but it's not from a threat place, but we start talking about it as a, okay, we're in the neutral phase. This is our time to get creative. What have we learned? What can we do better? You know, and again, providing safety, but in a creative way of what could we do? Not that I'm going to compile all this action and tell you what to do, but what could we do? Does that make sense? Did it that does. And, and I, I would think that everyone's going to be in a different spot, just like that, you know, that the, the transition is yes. for everyone is, is going to be infinite and it's going to be as different as we have different people. So as a leader and a manager, by having the conversations, you sort of figure out where everyone is and understand what types of conversations you can have with people. I mean, if people are in a spot that they want, it, it, it's, it's coping for them to talk about the future and strategy about what we do next and engage them in that discussion. Well, then you could have that Great. with them. And yeah. if there's other people who are not, like you, you've got to have a little bit more grace with them because they're in a different spot. And that amount of empathy you can show for them is probably going to just give you so much loyalty down the road and reverence that you, you sort of listened to me and you understood where I was, even though we're not quite understanding where we all are either, but you, you, you know that you're ready to move or you're not ready to move. Right. Yeah. And having those conversations, you know, I, because everyone's trying to do, you know, this is another, I mean, for me, I'm a consultant. I'm lucky, but a lot of the trainings I used to do were, were face to face, right? So my entire business just pivoted overnight, where I'm managing. You know, I was on a Zoom call managing 47 people this morning, putting them into breakout rooms. I'm, I'm on learning. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going on the fly. Um, but I've got a two-year-old at home, so I've got an essential uh, employee. I'm, I'm husband. You know, a husband that is is out as an essential employee. He's a surveyor. And I've got, so I'm, I'm trying to take care of my young son while at the same time do work. And it's like every day I wake up, I'm like, what am I doing today? Who's on first? What, what's happening? Are you home? Am I home? Like what? I guess I'm home. I don't, you know, trying to get babysitters in. I don't have daycare. I mean, it's a, it's a constant, literal uh, mess right now for a lot of people, never mind the, the healthcare concerns um, that are going on. And then just the fiscal, you know, everyone's worried about, can I pay next month's mortgage, right? So all of those things are what I talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, on the bottom is like, am I safe, right? Some people don't know if they are safe. So we can't be coaching. If you go up Maslow's hierarchy, you're talking about, you know, self-actualization or like personal growth and development. We should not be coaching on personal growth and development right now. We should be making sure that people feel safe. Um, they have the necessities to do their job. Um, Another example is, you know, PPE. If people are doing their job and the company is not providing PPE, well, that's a loud message, right? Um, my company doesn't provide me with PPE to keep me safe. I mean, that's, it's, it's basic necessities we should be thinking about. Um, and those are probably examples of, of poor behavior, um, yes. mm -hmm. that we probably should be able to recognize now um, that will probably have negative ramifications down the road. Like once the dust settles 
Uh, people will remember how they were treated. I mean, have you, without naming any names, I mean, do you know, have you heard or observed situations where, you know, leaders really have acted in a way that is probably going to have some short and longer term consequences? Um, and then on the other side, examples where leaders are really doing the right thing that you think will just pay dividends down the road. Yeah, I think the PPE issue is a you know, was, again, was a, is a loud, I have heard of that, as uh, a loud message of um, it's hard to give back or it's hard to be um, engaged at work when I feel someone doesn't take my, literally my health as a concern, as like a, a basic concern. So that will have implications. That employee will remember how they felt um, during this time and, and they're not going to leave right now, right? But uh, give it a year and give it nine months after this is over. And I guarantee you they're thinking about, um, the door, right? Where, where will I go where someone cares about my well-being? Well-being programs. So some of the companies that I'm, I'm seeing are doing really well right now, um, employee assistance programs, well-being programs, they've already had these in place, um, but they're really kicking them into high gear, meaning they're sending out notices to folks like, uh, or they're calling their providers for the e EAP program and they're saying, you know, we want you to utilize them. Call it, you know, if you need a counselor or a therapist, just to talk about, you know, one of the populations we're seeing that's struggling right now is mental health, right? right? And people that have mental health challenges. So if you have employees in your organization that have mental health challenges, like how do they reach out? Um, and do, is their employer providing some resources for them to do that? Uh, and, and so that's a great win. Like if you have those in place, like really communicate them, really push them, you know, and remind people, send out those emails and have managers calling in and saying, hey, if you're comfortable to talk to me about this stuff, great. If not, remember, this is the number. Like we have, this is the reason why we have these programs in place. Um, another win I think that companies are doing right now is, um, you know, like peer mentoring groups or, 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 or peer um, like leadership, they had, they had kind of set up like a, kind of, a, it was a mentor program, but it was like new hire, right? So you came on new hire, you had someone that kind of walked you through. Um, they're kind of revisiting that and saying, okay, well, we, it's not the, the new hire concept, but I'm pairing you up with somebody like that just says, Hey, I'm just checking in on you. You're doing okay. What can I help with? Like, what can I do? Is there something you don't know about? Especially for even though, you know, they might be a six month employee or, or nine month employee, those new folks, they're going to be really hesitant to raise their hand and go to their supervisor and say, Hey, I'm nine months in, but I don't know what the heck I'm doing right now. Um, so it's like a buddy program in a way, like or a, like a yeah. small, like employee resource group checking in on each small other. Employee yeah. And it was started again, you know, some companies have this in place for, for new hires, but they're kind of extending it, right. To make sure that these folks, even though they're not technically new hires right now, uh, because they came in in such a strange time, um, they're extending that to, to people, which I think has been helpful. Well, and whatever um, they learned in the last, you know, in their first month, two, three, six months is all out the window because we're doing things differently now anyway. So that's right. Yep. And again, they, they, it's hard for those people to raise their hand and say, um, you know, throw me a line because I don't, I, I don't want to look vulnerable so early in the, in the employment stage. Well, you, you said something um, that, that stuck out when you said it is employees will remember how they felt 
Mm. And so, I mean, it's kind of from a leadership minute. I mean, we're doing in almost all cases the best we can and we're trying to do and, but is it, you know, it's, it's that empathy. It's, it's that looking at things from other people's shoes, like they will remember me how, by how I made them feel. Did I make them feel safe? Did I make them feel secure? Did I make them feel apart? Did I make them feel like their contribution matter? And it's it, even in this, so it's like an extra added level of awareness and burden, if you will, on leaders and managers that not only do I have to get myself to a certain place, I have to then make sure that my, my employees are feeling me. Um, and I, yeah. I have to be worried about their feelings not just how I'm connecting with them. Yes, and perception is reality. So you could think you're doing a knockout job, but perception is, is in the eye of the beholder, right? So it, it's really, I will say this, managers and leaders right now, they've got a heavy burden. Um, and the ones that I'm seeing thrive are being realistic with themselves they know they can't be everything to everybody all the time right now. And they're, and they're finding ways to fill their bucket. And the companies that are supporting their managers, having calls with them, having Zoom meetings, saying, you know, what, what do you need from us? Like senior leaders. I mean, everyone is in a, whether it's now or whether it's later, I'm seeing everyone have their, what I call a freak out moment. Um, I think leaders had it or like the most senior had it early on where they just started like grasping for straws and they, they went into go mode. Right. And, but I'm seeing some leaders that are still frozen. They're kind of, they, they don't know what to do. And across the gamut, it's, it's really being able to figure out who's, who's in what stage and what are the, or, or what, what reaction, not stage, I guess, what reaction they're having and how do I, how do I help them through it? So it's right? almost other leaders, peer leaders coming to the assistance of, you know, if you're still in the fight, flight, or freeze mode, yes. other leaders and peers coming around to saying, hey, you're, you're a little frozen here. Maybe not, depending on your relationship, you can be fairly direct or not. Um, and just being coming around then to support them, knowing that they're a lever for the rest of the organization. That we've really right. got to make sure that we protect ourselves too. Yes. And filling, again, self-care, filling up, your bucket like what what is it you know one person on a call a couple of weeks ago articulated it so well he's like all the things that i do that make me that that make me get through the hardest of days um i i can't even do i can't see my grandbabies i can't you know go to go to the local pub and have a couple beers with my bud like i i can't i can't do those things so i'm left not only am i left with a a work schedule that's insane, but I don't, I don't feel like I have any coping mechanisms. <laughs> so really at the end of the day, that's where I think people are at. And, and they also don't know when the end is. You know, I had one company that I work with, they, some contracts or some um, third parties that they're working with are really hard. They're difficult, difficult clients to have. But they know at the end of the project, they know that they know how the project's going to go. They know that there's going to be this huge push at the end, but they know the date usually that it's, it's going to be over. So they can kind of look at the date and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've, we've dealt with this before. The light at the end of the tunnel is here. With this one, the COVID-19 thing, people, it's, it's a new normal, meaning it's going to get better, but it's not going to end for a while. 
right? right. Like, it might not end until there's the vaccine a, a year or so from now. So I mean, but it's interesting from a change management perspective, you almost have to look at it that we've, we've got to manage the change in ourselves to have that self-awareness and be able to, to, to understand, you know, how we get our bucket filled and when we do before mm -hmm. and, you know, almost more in the loss of how we can't, but figure out ways that we can and then also help our teams manage, but um, manage the change. And that's going to be helping them maybe reflect on some things and, you know, what we learned in our self-management, we help with others and have those conversations, but it's almost like, because, I mean, what popped in my mind when you were talking is because there's uncertainty on when this thing is going to end, it's almost like a beautiful engagement opportunity to when talk to your team to say, listen, yeah. we're managing this. Here's some of the strategies I'm using. What are you using? Let's share. Cause we're probably in a similar boat. And by the way, if this lasts, three months, what might we do? If it lasts 12 months, what might we do? And let's just spend 30 minutes, an hour talking about that this week. Cause that's probably a great use of that hour because it probably sets all the, some fear and anxiety aside and you feel engaged and probably your emotion level has shifted and we can perform better. That's right. Yeah. What's interesting um, to that point is it, what an opportunity, right? To, to sit there and to brainstorm and to, one of the feedback things I'm hearing from other leaders is that they're learning so much about their people that they didn't know before, right? I'm, one person say to me, um, wow, I didn't know that three of my team members, you know, their stress response was this, like I had never seen it. Like, I guess they either hid it from me or, um, and they were, the stress response was go, 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 think later, you know, go, go, go. But they're making a lot of mistakes in the go, 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 go process. Um, and then another thing somebody said to me, which was just, it was such an eye-opening, this person is a self-proclaimed control freak. And she said, you know, we get into this mess and I, I do not have the time to control. I, I, I've got a, I literally... There's no risk at failure because everyone's so spun out. So she turned to her people and she's like, here, do this. If you can't figure it out, don't worry about it, but just try. And she's looking around going, I have four or five people that have risen to an occasion that I never expected would. Or you might not have given them the opportunity you know, to. That's right. That's right. right. She wouldn't have given them the opportunity to because she had already had you know, preconceived bias about what they could do or couldn't do or would be willing to do. And so this opportunity was huge for her of like, wow, I've been sitting on, you know, leaders that, that I didn't even give the opportunity to be leaders and what a mistake that was from, for her. So she, she had this huge eye-opening experience, which was great. So there's a lot of opportunities in, in this craziness that we're in. It's, it's how do you provide the opportunity or the venue? How do you provide the venue to share? And to say, aha, I had an aha, what are we going to do differently? And to kind of implement it and keep it after things start to, to go back to normal or, or shift to the next date, I guess, is a probably better way to look at it. Right. And, right. With, and with, with, the, with the COVID-19 aspect, it's we don't know the answer. We don't know the benefit that I'm trying to convince you of in sort of conventional change management. Yes. We need this and here's this. So we don't. So that's the opportunity. That's the engagement because... 
We don't know either as leaders, whereas in the conventional times with conventional change, we know the answer or, or we're pretty sure of it because we've thought through it before. We, we bought the product, we bought the software, we've made, we, we spent two years on this leadership transition. We know the benefits. We're trying to get your feedback and get you on board, but we're convinced. We're truly enthusiastically convinced this is a great thing and we want to walk you through that process in a very systematic way, an encouraging way for you and be able to get your feedback. But here... We don't know how to walk people through this because we don't know exactly how it's going to end. We don't know exactly someone's family member might be impacted. My family member might be, or you, you just don't know. So it's the opportunity to engage because we don't, we can have a shared outcome um, and get there together. So I think that's kind of the, the difference in this change management is we don't have the outcome 90% in mind yet. We, no. we might have it 20% in mind. And so engaging our team will go a long way. Well, and it's a, it's a great exercise in trust, um, and it's a great exercise in um, like listening to a team and what they have, like truly listening, right? Like not like most people, I say listening is one of those, oh, everyone listens. It's such a, listening is one of the real listening um, in-tuned mindful listening is one of the hardest things that if you ask any leader um, that does it well, you have to shut down your agenda, shut down, you know, the, what I call the ticker tape of all the other thoughts that are going through your head, you know, 9,000 things you have to do. Um, when you're in that listening state, and if we're all going through this together, it'll probably be a a very empowering moment for many of your employees because they will feel just as much a part um, of an initiative in, as you. So it's a great opportunity there. Again, if, if we can turn on that high level listening. Well, this has been fascinating. I really appreciate your insights um, on conventional change management and particularly change management today. Um, both on a personal level and on a team level, is there, as we close, is there anything else that um, we haven't talked about, um, but that you think is important to, to talk about in terms of change management? No, um, I'm sure there is. There, are, there always is. Um, I think, you know, I made a post the other day and I, I really do believe this through, especially through, through the COVID-19 um, situation is that I think if, if, you're a leader and you're acting from a place of care and concern, right? Care and concern for the, for your business and for your employees are kind of one and the same, right? And so th that care and concern um, is, it, it's just the, that's all people want, right? That's all people want is to, to care, to work in a place where they feel like they've, they're, they're supported, people have their back. Um, and it's that idea of, you know, togetherness um, that, that's going to get through this. So I guess that would be the one takeaway I, I have for folks that are, that are kind of when you're left not knowing what to do, go back to that, <laughs> figure, mm -hmm. out, figure out how to do more of that. Well, great. Now, how, how can folks, um, listeners get in touch with you to learn more about you, what you do and leader consulting group? Yeah, sure. So um, my website is um, the leader consultants that's plural.com. And um, my email is Tammy, T-A-M-M-Y at theleaderconsultants.com. 
Um, I'm on LinkedIn at Tammy Jordan. Um, I'm on social media. I'm on Facebook. I'm on, I do the Insta thing. So if you're on Insta, it's Tammy Y Jordan on Instagram. Um, follow me there. And um, yeah, that's, that's about it. Well, great. We'll put that information in the show notes also. Well, I want to thank you again for, for coming on the podcast and, and sharing um, all about change management and leadership, again, especially today where it's just, it's so important. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, very passionate about obviously this topic and, um, and so it was a privilege to uh, be invited on and always, always so wonderful uh, to talk with you about business stuff. Well, excellent. And well, you're welcome. Thank you again and take care. Thanks. You too. Well, that's a wrap. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to and rate this podcast on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to the show from. There are links on my website and in the show notes to do so. And please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. It really helps to get us established. And I truly appreciate that. It also helps get the word out so that together we can collectively grow and positively impact the lives of others, both inside and beyond our organizations. So thank you. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of AEC Leadership Today. If you want to stay relevant and effective and take your growth and prosperity to new levels, it's time to take action. To learn more about how Pete can help take you and your firm to the next level, visit www.actionsprove.com. That's www.actionsprove.com. See you next time on the AEC Leadership Today podcast.